you have a Bible this morning, if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35 this morning, we are continuing our series through the parables of Jesus. And this morning we come to a very strong, I'm warning you, <laughs> very strong parable. Um, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Follow along with me as I read. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for the man, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and let's ask the Spirit to help us with this very challenging passage. Let's pray together. Father, we do need your help through your Spirit this morning, and so come... We're not good at this forgiveness thing. We're really good at retaliating and holding grudges, but not so good at forgiveness. And so we need your spirit to come and convict and challenge and teach and help us to see how much you have forgiven us so that we might in turn go and love other people and forgive others you tell us that the one who is forgiven much loves much we have been forgiven much help us this morning in Jesus name amen 2014 marked the 20-year anniversary for the uh, uh, Rwanda genocide nearly a million people were, ki were killed during the Rwanda genocide and around that time there were lots of articles uh, lots of news pieces that came out around the 20-year anniversary and highlighted different stories. And one of the articles highlighted uh, a woman named, a survivor named Alice. 
She lost her young baby daughter during the killing spree and also lost her right hand. The man who did it was named Emmanuel. And in the months that followed the genocide and the killing spree, uh, Emmanuel was eaten away on the inside with guilt. So much so that he began to see his victims in his nightmares that he was having. And so he eventually went in 1996 and turned himself into authorities and confessed his crimes. He paid and went immediately to prison from 1997 to 2003. After he was freed, uh, he started to go to each family member of his victims and beg their forgiveness. He's now a part of a genocide support group, if you will, that includes both survivors and killers. That support group still meets weekly to this day. And one week, in walked Alice to that support group. And Alice walks in and Emmanuel could not believe he had, he was, what he was seeing because he thought he had killed Alice. And there she was. He didn't know what to do. And so he ignored her for several weeks. And then finally, one day in the support group, he falls down on his knees and confessed his crimes and tells her that he's the one that killed her baby daughter and cut off her right hand. He begged her forgiveness. After a couple of weeks of talking to her husband and thinking it through, which forgiveness is often a process, she said, yes, I will forgive you. Two people on opposite sides of an unspeakable shared past, Emmanuel and Alice, are now friends. She's actually the treasurer. He's the vice president of a group that builds brick houses for genocide survivors. You were to ask Alice, and she was asked in the interview, how can you do such a thing? How do you forgive someone who has committed such horrible violence against against you? Her reply was simply this, I am a Christian. You see, this morning we all have stories, don't we? You've heard stories like that. Perhaps you have your own stories of forgiveness. But how is that possible for someone to forgive? Particularly for having something done like that against them and to them and to their family? You see, we pray every week. We prayed it this morning, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's really easy to give lip service to, isn't it? But it's a lot harder to do when it comes down to actually forgiving someone. What is easy and what's natural for us on the inside is to retaliate and to make someone pay. And Jesus, very clearly in this passage, says, Citizens of my kingdom, instead of their instinct being to retaliate, It must be to forgive. So challenging. That's the topic that we're going to look at this morning is Christian forgiveness. We're going to look at three questions. What is it? What is forgiveness? Secondly, why do we need to do it? And lastly, how can we do it? So 
Let's look at those three questions, but before we dig in, this is one of those passages that I need to say, you can't say everything about forgiveness, and if I try, I will end up saying nothing, okay? It's very easy. I'm not going to say everything about forgiveness, and I think forgiveness is one of those things that's really easy for us to nuance to death, and we can nuance it to death and actually miss everything, and so, of course, there's more to be said, But let's not think about what about this situation? What about that situation? I want us this morning to let this passage hit us straight on. So let's do that and let's look at number one, what is forgiveness? Look at verses 23 through 27 with me. There's a king and he has a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. And we need to know what a talent is, don't we? Because that actually helps open up the passage for us this morning and understand exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us through this parable. A talent was a unit of money that was the equivalent of 20 years of salary. Yes, you heard me correctly. One talent is 20 years of salary. How many talents does this guy owe, the king? 10,000 talents. Do the math That's 200,000 years of wages, of salary. That's laughable. Those hearing this parable would have snickered and thought, that's not possible. There's no such number. It would be like today us using gazillion. I owe you a gazillion dollars. That's not a real thing. The point is that it's an inconceivable amount of money. And that this man, nor anyone else, could possibly pay off this debt. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that this man is in a very hopeless situation. Verse 26. What's crazy is he actually thinks he can pay it back. And he says, wait a minute, have patience with me. Just, I'll pay back everything. Verse 27, and out of pity, a better word there is compassion. So the king actually has compassion on this man. He puts himself in the man's shoes and he forgives him the debt. So what does this teach us about forgiveness? Well, first of all, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgive and forget. That's often the way we think about forgiveness. We can forgive, but that doesn't mean that we forget what happened. Christianity is not promoting some avoidance or denial as a pathway to healthy relationships. Also, forgiveness is not necessarily trusting someone right away. Or it's not uh, meaning that there are no consequences for people. For example, if I'm a CEO and someone steals from my company, I can forgive them... But that doesn't mean that I'm going to make them CFO the next day, or ever for that matter. Forgiveness is also not ignoring sinful patterns in a person's life. Forgiveness is not enabling sinful patterns. You know where people come, and maybe you've experienced this, where people beg for forgiveness, and what are they really begging for? No consequences? And then you say, okay, I forgive you. And then what? You're in this endless cycle. That's not Christian forgiveness. This parable shows us 
very clearly that forgiveness is very costly. It's very clear. Think about what the king does with the debt that the servant owes him. What does the king do? He absorbs the debt. He absorbs it. And so what that shows us is that Christian forgiveness begins first and foremost with absorbing the debt. And we all know this instinctively. For example, don't do this by the way, but if you were to back into my car and put a huge dent in the side of my car or the back of my car, um, there's a debt put in place. Someone has to pay the debt. I make you pay or I can forgive you. And if I forgive you, that means I pay. I pay to get the car fixed or I say, hey, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal and I drive around with a beat up car. For a while. But either way, forgiving means that I absorb the debt. And it's the same way in relationships. When someone hurts you, when someone insults you or sins against you, there is a debt put in place in the relationship. And to forgive them means that you absorb the debt, no matter how much it costs. It means that you don't make them pay, no matter how costly it may be, and no matter what they did to you. Is that easy? Of course, that's not easy. Forgiveness is hard. Very painful. It's often not immediate, but forgiveness is often a process. And even after you forgive someone, you still probably have things to work through from the wound or damage that has been caused by the other person to you. But forgiveness means absorbing the debt. And what would that look like? Well, it means that when you want to hurt them, you don't. It means that when you want to slice up their reputation and talk about them behind their back and gossip about them, you don't. It means that when you start to think hateful thoughts about them, you repent. It means that you rip up the scorecard. And you stop keeping score. And if you do those things, what you'll find is that your anger will subside. Why? Because you're absorbing the debt. That's what forgiveness looks like. And as we're going to see in the last point, we can do that because we know in the gospel that Jesus doesn't make us pay, does he? Thank goodness. But Jesus actually absorbs our debt on the cross. Let's look at the second point before we get there. Why do we need to forgive? Well, if you look at the context for the passage, if you have your Bible open, look back at the context. It's interesting. It's in the context of the church that he's talking about forgiveness. If you, if, if you look at it, look at chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus has just said, to the, he's teaching the disciples, if someone sins against you, they come back to you and they repent then you receive them back. You have won your brother back. And Peter, so it's right on the heels of this that we have our passage, and Peter's thinking about this. And this question pops in his mind. Look at verse 21. Then Peter, so he's thinking about it, what Jesus has just said. Then Peter comes and says, now wait a minute. How many times do I have to do this? Receive my brother back. And Peter answers his own question. He says seven times. Well, you need to know that in Judaism, forgiving someone three times showed that you were very gracious. 
and showed that you were a person who had a spirit of generosity and kindness. And so Peter is trying to, think, trying to get Jesus on his good side or to get on Jesus' good side. And so he goes, I know how I can get a pat on the back from Jesus. I can say not three times, seven times I'm willing to forgive. Jesus will like that. Classic Peter. Look how Jesus responds in verse 22. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That is another way of saying, Peter, quit counting. There is no limit to your forgiveness. But you forgive over and over and over again. That's unsettling, isn't it? I told you this was a tough passage. It's very challenging. And here's my question. Why would Jesus ask such a thing and be so challenging to us about forgiveness? Well, because Jesus knows what's in here. He knows what's on the inside of us. And he knows that if there is any hope for us to have real, authentic, thriving relationships on this earth, then we must learn how to forgive. It's true. I mean, think about it. If you are going to have any friendships, real friendships, in this world, forgiveness will be essential. Why? Well, because your friends are going to hurt you. They're going to leave you out, whatever it might be. Not intentionally, but they're going to hurt you. Why? Because they're sinners. If you're ever going to be involved in a church community, in this church community, forgiveness will be essential. Why? Because the people in this room, including me, will hurt you. And you will need to forgive them. You see, forgiveness is essential to any community, whether your workplace, whether your friends at school, whether your neighborhood or your street that you live on. Forgiveness is essential. What about marriage? Forgiveness essential for marriage? You better believe it, friends. There is no one that will hurt you more deeply and more often than your spouse. Forgiveness is essential. If you're ever going to have thriving, long-lasting friendships, a marriage that thrives, you are going to have to learn to forgive over and over and over again. And maybe this morning you're thinking, well, what if I don't want to? What if I don't want to forgive? Do you know what they've done to me? And what if you don't? Well, the passage shows us that too. Look at verse 29. The same servant went out. So the one that had been forgiven a gazillion dollars goes out and finds one of his servants that owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and chokes him and says, you owe me. We need to know what a denarii is to get a good comparison here. It was a day's wages. And so 100 denarii would be roughly four months' salary. You see the difference? A gazillion dollars in four months' salary. This man falls on his knees and says, please be patient with me. Please give me time. I will pay this off. And the man refuses and throws him in prison until he can pay the debt. Look at verse 31 through 34. The king finds out about this and says, wait a minute. 
I forgave you a gazillion dollars of debt. This man owed you pennies. And yet you didn't have mercy on him like I had mercy on you. And the king throws this man in jail. My question is, where does the person who doesn't forgive ultimately end up? In prison. You see, we think that when we don't forgive someone, we think we're going to make them pay. I'm going to show them. Or I'm going to let him or her sit in this mess for a long time until they finally get what they've done. Or I'm going, I'm going to make sure they see what they've done. I'm not budging. They need to come to me first. We do that, don't we? And by doing that and not forgiving someone, we think we're putting the other person in prison when it's actually us who is being put inside a prison. And you know that's true. You know this maybe in your own family, in your own heart, in your relationships. You've seen the person who holds a grudge, who has hatred in their heart, who refuses to forgive. They become a shell of the person they used to be. It actually dehumanizes you. Frederick Buechner, who's an American writer, listen to this amazing quote. He says it well. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds and to smack your lips over grievances long past. To savor the last toothsome morsel, both of the pain that you have been given and the pain that you are giving back. In many ways, this is a feast fit for a king. And then listen to this. The chief drawback, however, is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. And the only one at the feast is the skeleton, which is you. See, forgiveness involves setting someone free and then realizing the entire time it was you who were the one who was the one that most needed to be free who do you need to forgive this morning who do you need to forgive or maybe who do you need to go and ask forgiveness from if you're married this morning are you harboring bitterness towards your spouse that you need to deal with if you've got children Maybe you've got resentment towards them. Who do you need to call? Pick up the phone and call today. Maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe someone in this room that you need to call and say, I'm giving up my bitterness. I forgive you. Would you please forgive me? Lastly, how do we get there? Where's the power come from? That enables us to forgive another person. Well, to be a forgiver, we must be people who focus on the right debt. Hang with me. Think about the parable. Put it in today's terms. Let's say you owe someone a billion dollars. And this person uh, that you owe a billion dollars forgives you. And then you go out to your friend who owes you five dollars. And you choke them and say, please pay up. 
They beg your patience and you say no and you throw them in jail. If that is a real scenario, what does that reveal about you? It reveals that you don't get it. It reveals your unwillingness to forgive. A very small debt reveals that you've not been transformed by the forgiveness that you have received. In other words, you have focused on the wrong debt. To say it in Jesus' terms, why do you notice the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye, yet you ignore the plank in your own? Verse 35, the most chilling words of the passage. Jesus says, so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's pretty strong. But here's a question. So is Jesus saying that to be a Christian that you have to forgive? Is Jesus saying, in other words, that there is a condition or a work that is required in order for you to become a Christian? Of course he's not saying that. Scripture interprets Scripture. We know that you are saved not by any work, not including forgiveness. You are saved by grace alone. What Jesus is teaching us here is that a heart of mercy and forgiveness is an essential mark of saving grace. A heart of mercy and forgiveness is a mark that you are a child of God, to say it another way. A merciful heart is one of the first signs of a person who's been forgiven and who has been shown mercy by God. You see, being a forgiver means that we focus on the right debt, which is not someone else's debt. It's your debt. And the Bible says that you owe God an enormous, infinite debt because of your sin. There is a debt that's been put in place. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's this infinite, enormous debt that is in place. It's insurmountable. It's like gazillion dollars. (laughs) You can't possibly pay it back. Way more than 200,000 years of salary. The point is that you and I are in a hopeless situation just like this man in this parable and someone's got to pay the debt. And either you and I can pay the debt and we don't want to do that or God pays the debt. And you see what makes the gospel such good news? What makes Christianity such wonderful news is that Jesus pays your debt. Jesus doesn't make you pay. Amen? He pays your debt in full. He, that's what the cross is about. He absorbs the penalty and the cost of your sin on the cross. And when you come to him... By faith, Jesus says, you are forgiven. It is finished. Every sin that you've committed, past, present, and future, has been dealt with finally and fully, once and for all. You see, forgiveness begins by you looking at your debt, not someone else's. And friends, we've been forgiven much. Luke chapter 7 says that the one who has been forgiven much, what? 
loves much and forgives much. Let me say it another way. Forgiven people forgive. To say it a bit more strongly and a little differently, if you struggle with forgiveness and showing mercy to others, there's a high likelihood that you're self-righteous and that you think you're better than other people. Let me say it even another way. If you hold grudges, if you refuse to forgive, if you keep a scorecard and you snub other people, you've missed something about the gospel. Not only have you missed something about the gospel, this is included obviously in the gospel, you've missed something about your own heart and the amazing grace that Jesus has shown you. Jeffrey Dahmer, some of you might be familiar with that name, others maybe not. Back in the early 90s, he was a serial killer. He killed 17 people. He was scheduled to be executed for his crimes, but before his execution, he was killed by a fellow inmate in prison. Many of you might know the story, but if you don't, he actually became a Christian before he was executed and was baptized right there in the prison. And in, in an interview around that time, there were lots of articles about this. He says, I don't expect anyone in the world to be able to forgive me for what I've done. In fact, I would never ask them to forgive me. The only one in the world that can forgive me for what I've done is Jesus Christ. And I'm quite convinced, Dahmer says, that he will forgive me. And I remember when these articles came out around his conversion and uh, hearing this interview and reading these types of interviews, my knee-jerk reaction then, and it still is to this day, my knee-jerk reaction is to forget the gospel. It's to say, are you kidding me? I'm going to be in heaven with Jeffrey Dahmer? He doesn't deserve forgiveness for what he's done. You see, I leave the gospel, don't I? Because what's the implication of that statement? The implication is that I do. That I do deserve forgiveness. I forget the gospel, and you see what I'm doing? I'm focusing on the wrong debt. The truth is, you see, though we might not have killed anyone physically, we have done worse. You say, how so? Well, you and I have contributed to the execution of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was for our sins that he was nailed to a cross and executed. And what did God do? He forgave you. The most unlikely of candidates, you and me, God showed mercy. And it's only when we realize that and let that get down deep inside of us that we will become forgivers. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Who do you need to forgive? Let's pray. Father, thank you for paying our debt. Forgive us for focusing on other people's debt 
and how much worse they are rather than our own sin and shortcomings. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Holy Spirit, help us this morning to see clearly. Some of us have heard this story of your goodness and forgiving our sin our entire lives and it no longer moves us. Move us with what you have done for us on the cross and help us to see clearly so that we might be merciful and forgiving people towards others. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.